This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Dear radio friends, in our broadcast today we continue the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39 beginning in verse 7. Last week we looked at the first six verses of this chapter where Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. There God is with him, God prospers him, he gains favor in the sight of his master, and everything in Potiphar's house is committed to his care. If we skip over the middle section of this chapter and look just at the last three verses where Joseph is unjustly imprisoned, we see that the scriptures use almost exactly the same language to describe what happens in prison. In verses 20 through 23, we read that the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, with this result that the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all that happened in the prison so that he didn't have to concern himself with anything. And all of this because the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord made everything that Joseph did to prosper. As we begin this chapter, it's important that we notice that beginning and ending. The Holy Spirit is telling us two things. First, that in everything Joseph went through, God was with him to strengthen him and give him grace, even when it seemed otherwise. And second, that in all the events of Joseph's life, good and evil alike, God was sovereign. Just as God in his providence had seen to it that Joseph was hated by his brothers and sold into Egypt, and just as God in his providence brought Joseph to the house of Potiphar and prospered him there, so God in his providence now leads Joseph through another dark period in his life in which he is sorely tempted, and then because he's faithful in that temptation, ends up in prison. God brings him to both prosperity and adversity, and God is with him in both prosperity and adversity. In the verses we look at today, the wife of Potiphar, Joseph's master, attempts to seduce Joseph, and when he refuses, she lies about him with the result that he's cast into prison. For a number of years, Joseph had been working for Potiphar. And as he matures, probably now in his early to mid-twenties, he comes to the attention of his master's wife. Verse 7 tells us that she cast her eyes upon Joseph, that is, she looked at him with longing eyes, and she said to him, Lie with me. In the absence of her husband, she assumes authority and she commands Joseph, Come to bed with me now. What a dreadful abuse of power. As I said, God brought this temptation to Joseph. What occasioned it, according to verse 6, was that Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. That is, he was handsome in appearance and pleasant in personality. Those two things, good looks and a pleasant personality, were God's gift to Joseph. It was in his genes. The same language is used of his mother Rachel, to whom Jacob was immediately attracted. And now because of these, Joseph is put into a tempting situation. He did nothing. 
but rather God in his providence brought him into temptation. Now there's something for us to say here. Oftentimes we are tempted, and think now especially of sexual temptation, oftentimes it is because we open ourselves up to temptation. We put ourselves in tempting situations, maybe by flirting, or maybe we go to places and watch things that are inappropriate, or maybe if we're young and unmarried, we're alone with our date. Here, Joseph does none of those things. God simply leads him into a tempting situation. Now understand, this was real, and this was a strong temptation for Joseph. Like any normal young man, Joseph was created with hormones that produced physical desires. And I have to think that there was something attractive about Potiphar's wife. After all, he was a man who moved among the rich and famous in Egypt. This was not an old lady attempting to seduce him. And then we notice also how persistent she is. Not only is she bold, telling Joseph exactly what she wants from him, but she persists. Verse 10 tells us that day after day she made this proposal to him trying to wear him down. No one is around. No one will know. Joseph could have reasoned. I deserve this. Here I am, all alone. What other opportunities are there for love here? And she's available. How similar this is to sexual temptation in our own day and culture. It is all around us, constantly making its offers, readily available. And you can do it in secret, in the privacy of your home, the privacy of internet and movies. And everyone is told, this will make you happy. You deserve it. It's your choice. And it's just as brazen. Our young people find this out when they go to college or are in the workplace. There's no holding back on suggestive comments, crude humor. And men and women alike who make themselves available to you, especially if you, like Joseph, are attractive. And behind it is Satan. And like Potiphar's wife, Satan will work on us to wear us down, day after day. He'll work on our eyes and ears. He'll work on our thoughts and desires. He'll work on our relationships. He'll work through the media. He'll work through books and literature. And he won't ever give up until he wins. Today in our society, this is the predominant temptation. Satan is working harder with this temptation than with any other. And why is that? It's because Satan knows that if he can destroy the sexual morals of a society, he has destroyed the family. And if he has destroyed families, he has destroyed the church. Just look back to Joseph's own family and see how the polygamy of his father brought hatred and division and how his sons Judah and Reuben had fallen into sexual immorality as well and that these things were a threat to the separate existence of God's covenant people in Canaan. Through sexual immorality, the church becomes more and more like the world. In response to this real and powerful temptation, Joseph says, no. He resists the temptation. He refuses Potiphar's wife. How did he do that? We have here in Joseph both an example of how to overcome temptation and we see where Joseph found the strength to overcome. 
Looking at Genesis 39, we notice several things. First, Joseph refused immediately. In Ephesians 4 verse 27, we're exhorted not to give place to the devil. Joseph gave no room for Satan or this woman to tempt him. He, like the godly man in Psalm 1, did not listen to the counsel of the ungodly. He refused the enticements immediately. Second, Joseph made no excuses for sin. What others would have used as an excuse for sin, Joseph used as a reason not to sin. He says in verse 8, My master does not know what is with me in the house. Others would say, Here's an opportunity. Joseph says, He doesn't know because he trusts me. How can I betray that trust? Third, Joseph verbalizes his refusal and in doing this he takes a stand against this sin. He doesn't say, I'll think about it or not today but maybe another time. He doesn't say, but I'm not attracted to you or you're too old. No, he flat out refuses and then he explains why his answer is no. In verbalizing it, Joseph makes a confession of commitment to remain chaste and not to commit this act. Fourth, Joseph appeals to conscience, to his own conscience and the conscience of his seductress. He says to Potiphar's wife, My master has kept back nothing from me but you, because you are his wife. You, Mrs. Potiphar, you're not mine. You don't belong to me. God has given you to Potiphar. I cannot do this. And then fifth, Joseph calls sin by its proper name. Today this is softened and called an affair, making it sound fun and attractive, something you might want to do. Joseph calls it wickedness and sin. In verse 9, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's not the way Potiphar's wife saw it, and that's not the way our culture sees it. As long as two adults consent, the culture says, do it, you're entitled to it. Don't let anyone or anything stop you. But in Joseph's eyes, it was a great wickedness. Sixth, Joseph was on guard. He took precautions so that he would not be tempted. Verse 10 tells us that as she daily enticed him, he not only refused to listen to her, but he avoided her. He did everything in his power to keep temptation at bay. When she comes in the front door of the house, he goes out the back door. And Jesus says we should watch and pray so that we don't enter into temptation. This is what Joseph did. He didn't trust himself. He didn't say, well, I'm strong enough so I can be with her. No, he avoided the very opportunities to sin. And then seventh, he refused her repeatedly. He did not let Satan or this woman wear him down. His immediate answer and his constant answer was no. And he didn't waver on that. Pretty soon she figures this out too. She's not going to wear him down. And so she resorts to forcing him. And then eighth, Joseph flees. When she ambushes him in the house, on his own and grabs him by his coat and demands, Now lie with me? Joseph runs, leaving his coat in her hands. That's bravery and freedom. 
Potiphar's wife is a slave to her sinful desire. Joseph, on the other hand, is free to refuse. He fled. He got him out, out of the house, as far away from the temptation as he could. In the New Testament, talking about this very sin, Paul alludes to what Joseph does here by saying, flee fornication. There's such a power to this temptation that it requires a unique response. Other sins we may grapple with and take on in hand-to-hand combat. But the only proper course of action with this sin is to flee. This sin is like a baited hook. It looks tasty. And the closer you get, the tastier it looks. But as Proverbs tells us, the end thereof is death. You may meddle with it, but in the end a dart will strike through your heart. Joseph does not meddle with, and so is not taken in by this sin. How remarkable. Proverbs 7 verse 26 says of this sin, Many strong men have been slain by her. And how true. Some whom we thought were the strongest, the most spiritual, the most godly. David, a man after God's own heart, has been sucked into this sin, slain by her. But Joseph resists. And how remarkable too when we consider Joseph's background. If anyone might have a disposition toward this sin and might use his family background as an excuse, it would be Joseph, his father, his brothers and their adultery, his mother, the beautiful and the unspiritual one. But Joseph was strong. Where did he get his strength? The answer, the Lord was with him. I said at the beginning that this is the theme and the line of thought through this chapter. The Lord was with him. Joseph was faithful to God because God was faithful to him. God was with him. God had not only led Joseph into this temptation, but God also provided for Joseph a way of escape. Joseph not only experienced the power of this temptation, but also the greater power of the grace and spirit of God. This was his strength. God was faithful to him and God was with him. And there's great encouragement for us here. It may be that you were brought up in a family of bad examples. It may be that your past is peppered with this sin. But we must remember that whatever our temptations, God is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we ask or think. He's able to keep us from falling. He will provide a way of escape. Whatever the sins of the past, God's forgiving grace is greater. He has washed us and made us clean of the guilt of sin through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And these are things that Joseph realizes. Despite his background, despite the strength of the temptation and his own weakness, Joseph looked to and lived before the face of God. In his temptation, this is his main argument. He says in verse 9, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God was more real to Joseph than anything else. Conscious of the fact that he lived before God, he says, How can I, I who have been saved, I who have been loved, I who am a child of God, how can I do this to my God? He doesn't say there's possible consequences. I might contract a disease. There might be an unwanted pregnancy. This might bring the wrath of Potiphar on me. No, he said, how can I do this to my God? 
And this is the true secret of his strength. He loved God. He had a passion for God that was stronger than any other desire in his life. Joseph didn't overcome temptation simply by saying no, by mere power of the will. Rather, he loved the Lord and he lived before the Lord. In Psalm 16, verse 8, David says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. When I'm tempted, I will not be moved because God is with me. And then also remember who we are and what God has done for us. In Romans 6, verse 2, Paul asks this important question. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? This was in Joseph's thinking. I may be a slave in Potiphar's house, but I am not a slave to sin. I've been set free. And so remembering who he was and living before God, Joseph refused and resisted the temptation. And what was the outcome? The outcome was very promising, this, that God was with him. Yes, the outcome for Joseph personally in his experience and in the circumstances of his life was horrible. He was lied about. He was made to look like the bad guy. He was slandered. He was racially profiled. They ganged up on him. He was treated unjustly. He lost his job. He was imprisoned. Psalm 105 tells us that it was with metal stocks and chains. Everything fell apart in his life. All because he was faithful in temptation. And you know, when we're in temptation and we're faithful to our God, this is exactly how we can expect to be treated by the world and those who don't know God. A young person who won't join in wild partying. A man on the job who won't laugh at or contribute to crude humor. A woman who is deliberately modest in her dress can expect to be scorned. And the church that's faithful to God's word in the seventh commandment can expect to be persecuted. Faithfulness will cost you something. But God was with Joseph in prison and prospered him there. Somehow his life is spared. He ends up in the king's prison. In prison, Joseph is blessed with a clear conscience. Potiphar is angry. His wife is guilty. But Joseph is free. He has a confidence that what he has done is right before God. And in relationship to the jailer, God is with him. Somehow, his trustworthiness and godliness make an impression on the keeper of the prison. And he trusts Joseph with the care of all the prisoners and everything that goes on in the prison. Joseph is exalted again. Don't you see a pattern in his life? Humiliation and then exaltation. So often this is precisely the way that God works with his people. He will bring us very low in order to lift us again and prepare us in some special way to serve him. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness before God was ready to use him to lead his people. David was hunted and chased before he was exalted to the throne. And Christ too was betrayed, denied, rejected, beaten, nailed to the cross, forsaken of God. And it was through his humiliation that he came to exaltation. It may be that because of faithfulness to God, you're going through some very difficult and humiliating things in your life. And you don't know why. Joseph didn't know either. How could he? 
But God had greater things in mind for him than working in Potiphar's house. And through Joseph's faithfulness and trouble, God would make those things happen. And his purpose was not just for Joseph, but for the salvation of his church. The history of Joseph is church history. And so because Joseph was faithful, he was cast into prison. Because he was cast into prison, he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer. Because he interpreted the dream of the cupbearer, he interpreted the dream of Pharaoh. Because he interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, he became the prime minister of Egypt. Because he became the prime minister of Egypt, the Egyptians were saved from starvation in a famine. Because the Egyptians were saved from starvation, Joseph's own family were also saved from starvation and brought to Egypt. And because Joseph's family were saved and brought to Egypt, the Messianic line of Christ could continue. And because the Messianic line of Christ could continue, Jesus Christ has come to be our Savior. All because God was with Joseph and he was faithful in temptation. When people hurt us and when God brings trouble and pain in our life, we must not mope and whine, but know that God is behind it and that God is with us, working sovereignly to accomplish his saving purposes. This is what we learn from the outcome of this story. God is with Joseph, and that is his promise for us as well. Father, we give thanks for the grace that enables us to resist temptation. Lord, be with us and help us to see that thy sovereign hand directs all things for the salvation of thy people and church. What a confidence and what a trust we have resting in thee. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.